since this is the first Art Sunday, I wanted to kind of do the, the message in two parts. And the first part is just going to be answering this question, why have an Art Sunday? So why Art Sunday? Just to let you know a little bit of the rationale behind it and why I think it's a good thing. So we're going to jump right in. And the first thing here on why Art Sunday is this, the church's tendency to aim at the head and miss the heart. The church's tendency to aim at the head and miss the heart. Now, sometimes the church can go to the other extreme too, but the church definitely does sometimes aim at the head and miss the heart or hit the, the, the left brain and miss the right brain. So I came across this joke when I was doing the, the church series a couple weeks ago, and it's basically this. The Sunday school teacher asked the children just before she dismissed them to go to church, uh, why is it important to be quiet when you're in church? And little Annie raises her hand and she says, because people are sleeping. Um, and I think, I think we need to realize that if we take serious that we're trying to offer praise and, and lift up um, worship to an almighty God who's deserving of that praise. And if we're trying to convince people that they should not live the way the world is telling them to live and everything is kind of pushing them, if we're really going to convince those people that they have to engage and commit to this Christian life uh, wholeheartedly, if we're going to really encourage people that come in and they're just battered and beat up, um, life is just, they're trying, they're trying to hang on, but it's fingernails only. And if we're going to really encourage those people like we're supposed to, we've got to do more than just talk like we're in math class. Does that make sense? We can't just convey uh, the information and just just leave it like that. It also has to somehow sink in or resonate. We have to feel it and we have to own it. Um, it has to be a part of who we are. And we have to not just throw out the content, uh, but we also have to hit the heart and move people. And art does that. I, I never get tired of saying art is like the lighter fluid for charcoal. Those old, remember those old charcoal briquettes, you know? And uh, you you put the lighter fluid, like a whole can of it, all over the charcoal briquettes, and that's the only way you're going to get it lit. Well, art is like that. It's it's the thing that takes the content, the fire, and it allows it to get into us so that it's a part of us. So the first thing here is. The church's tendency to aim at the head and miss the heart, that's why we are going to have art Sundays. Second thing, the church's tendency to suppress anything that's hard to control. Now this is an issue um, throughout church history of the church frowning on and, and struggling to kind of suppress anything that is hard to control. And so... Um, sex for most of the medieval church was something they suppressed uh, even within marriage because it was powerful and hard to control, so it was pushed to the side. Uh, people are hard. To, the, the earth is kind of like this crazy, powerful thing. We know that. Um, and so even the church the, with, with dualistic tendencies early on in church history kind of said, Spirit is good, but matter is bad. It's just bad. It's messy. The playing field is a difficult playing field, so let's just remove the playing field. Earth is just bad, right? Uh, people were seen as as difficult, and so you had desert fathers who would 
who would leave behind community and society and go live in a cave. Because people, I mean, we all know that. It's pretty hard to live out the spiritual life when you're around people. You know, so these guys would go live in caves and, and you knock out half of the Ten Commandments right there. You know, your chances of getting an egg go way up. It's, it's, you know, the Five Commandments. I can do this. You know, there's nobody else around. Um, but we do this. We, we tend to suppress things that are hard to control. And it's been a huge thing with art. Art is something that moves people. And it can move them for good, it can move them for bad, it has power, it's hard to control. And so for a lot of church history, art has been suppressed. And so there's times when musical instruments wouldn't be allowed in a service. There's times when um, pastors would just read a script monotone. Jonathan Edwards, great American theologian, would just read his script monotone because he wanted to just hit at the head and not use rhetorical flair that would, would move you based on the emotions um, rather than the logical reasoning of his arguments and his message. And it's kind of an overemphasis on, on we don't want to use emotion. We want to just play to reason. We don't want art and symbolism and rhetoric and poetry and metaphor. We don't want these things to move people. We just want the strict, you know, rigid, and we kind of suppress the art. So if you've ever seen those big black gowns that Puritan pastors used to wear, um, they would wear that because, again, it's, they didn't want like their fashion you know, to be something that would, people are seeing. Um, it's just the content, just the content. And the way I look at it is if my, mom, if my wife's going to take all that um, time to dress me, then I shouldn't wear a black dress. Um, okay, here's, here's the basic point. We often legislate against danger rather than educate towards wisdom. We often legislate against danger rather than educate towards wisdom. I saw this when I was in seminary. The school had an alcohol policy that was really weird. If you were a 21-year-old employee there 40 hours a week, you could drink. But if you were signed up for a class, even if you were a 70-year-old missionary, come back and you're taking just one night class, um, you couldn't drink. And it was they just kind of had these laws up. No student, no matter what, can drink. And what I, what I kind of began to realize was it's just a bad idea because you've got all these Christian college kids that are just, what do you think they're doing? You know, I mean, they're breaking the rules because that's what you do when someone puts a rule in front of you. The, the school wasn't educating people and teaching them alcohol is a powerful thing and it can be extremely destructive, extremely destructive. But you have to learn to choose what you're going to do in in regard to that. We can't just put up fences. You have to grow in wisdom so that you mature and you know the right choice for the right circumstance rather than just leaning on our legislation. Okay, Your two-year-old, someone told me this the other week, uh, your two-year-old is going to have to learn to climb stairs sooner or later. Right? And so you have to train them. And what we want to do as a church in all things, when something's hard to control, the temptation is just to put up walls and barriers and legislate against it. But in the long run, we just stunt growth. 
And what we want to do is tell people there's you, you, you take the good and you leave the bad. You learn how to make wise decisions. And so just like that, the church in, in church history has taken art and we've put up barriers and walls and just said, you know, it's just too hard to control this thing. So we're going to rule it out. And I don't think that's good. I think scripture teaches us that we mature always, that, that we always are grown, we're always being discipled, and we learn wisdom and how to deal with these things. God obviously gave us art, and so we find the good uses for it. Uh, this, the third thing falls out of this second one, and it's simply this. The church has a tendency to, to neglect artistic gifts. So why have an art Sunday? And it's simply this. If we're going to kind of rule out art as a, as a whole, okay, then what falls from that is we're going we're gonna to kind of remove artists in particular. Because art as a whole doesn't have a room in the church, then those that have artistic gifts kind of fall by the wayside too. And so people that, that, that are just right brain and they live it and they breathe it and art is their life and they're just creative, it's been too long where they have to come into church and just leave that at the door. They just have to kind of check that to the side, come sit, not be used, not be appreciated, not be able to contribute, um, and it's not supposed to be that way. So here's a verse from Peter, and Peter says this, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, and as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So as each one of you has received a special gift, you're supposed to use it to, to edify or serve the body of Christ. And by doing that, you're a good steward of what God has given you. And you bring him glory. And it says in Ephesians that this whole body is going to grow and build itself up in love as each part does its work. And so God obviously put into people artistic gifts. Well, why did he do that? He did that so that they could contribute something that was needed for this whole recipe to be complete, mainly the artistic side, the, the stuff that gets the heart going, that gets us going uh, in the emotions. God put it into people, and we can't rule it out of people. We can't remove it from people. So why have an art Sunday because the church's tendency to neglect artistic gifts. And I, you know, I'd simply point back to when they first built the tabernacle. And so you've got the people of Israel coming out of slavery into the desert. And God is saying, I'm now going to dwell with my people. I will be your God. You will be my people. And he says, we're going to build this house, this tabernacle, this tent. And he has people bring the jewels and bring the fine clothing and all the best stuff. And then he says to Moses, you go get the artisans. You go get the people that know how to decorate, that, that know how to put this together, that know how to build it right, that know how to make it look pretty. And they're the ones that are going to be fashioning this. And so who played the primary role when God was building a house for himself? Was the, it was those that had the artistic abilities. And so I think it's really funny when we come to worship God that we as a church have a history of pushing out those people that have those artistic gifts. Something fascinating about art, and that's intentionality, that 
an artist has a purpose and a goal in doing art. The artist is doing this, bringing this about, laboring over something with the end goal that, that there would be satisfaction. That's why you always see people crumple up the paper and throw it over their shoulder when it's not going the way they want it. The goal of an artist is to have a piece of art that brings uh, forth something satisfying, pleasing, that makes it worth it, that rewards the artist for, for his labor. Now, in this sense, God is the artist, and we are the art. Okay? God is the creator, and we are those that he has created, and he does it with intentionality. He does it for a purpose. He wants glory. He wants satisfaction. He wants the end for which he created us. And so scripture uses many metaphors to talk about this dynamic that is going on between God, the artist, we, the art, and ultimately what's coming from it, either good or bad, whether it's something he wants to crumple up and throw away, or whether it's the pleasing thing that he had desired. And one of the metaphors that's used often is of God being like a gardener, in in this sense like a vine dresser, and his people being like a vine. And so when it talks about God laboring um, and pouring himself over these vines, nurturing these vines, with the goal of, of producing fruit. It's, it's not a science. It's an art. It's a matter of the heart. It's, it's something that he's, he's emotionally vested in with this goal that's going to be this wonderful thing. There's going to be fruit coming out of his labor. And so God is working, and Isaiah you know, is, is prophesying in Jerusalem about upcoming judgment on the nation of Israel. And what he is pointing to is this simple fact that that God the artist is looking at you, the art, and you are not bearing the fruit you are supposed to bear. And so God looked for a crop of good grapes, but it had only yielded bad fruit. Uh, More specifically, he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness but heard cries of distress. God has this end goal of bringing about on earth the way it is in heaven, this kingdom goal. And he has put us here, and we are the work of his hands, and we are supposed to be a part of this intentioned plan of bringing this about, bearing this fruit, this just society, where the virtues of God are reflected, where we treat um, people the way God would want us to treat people, where we live the way God intended for us to live. And so God is looking down and he's saying, it's just not there. The fruit isn't there. And the whole purpose for me laboring over you isn't there. And so we're struck with just this dilemma right off the bat of trying to understand ourselves in light of this. And if you have your Bible, you can turn to Ezekiel 
the back half of chapter 17. Now, Ezekiel is another prophet. And instead of prophesying from Judah, the way Isaiah, uh, you know, from Jerusalem in Judea, the way Isaiah is, Ezekiel is prophesying in captivity. He's in Babylon. He's in captivity. And his message is not just one of judgment. Uh, he's basically saying, look at what God is doing, is going to do, has done, because you broke the contract. But then Ezekiel offers this message of hope kind of at the end. So the idea was this art was supposed to look to the artist. This, the created was supposed to depend upon the creator for what it was we needed to do what we were called to do. And instead, in Judea, the kings had started making alliances and they were beginning to rely on other kings, human kings, and other little kingdoms to somehow get them out of danger or the fix they're in. They'd started going back and doing the things that God had called them not to do. They were acting independently for their own ends, not acting subordinately for God's ends. You see... We, the art, because we have a will, often remove ourselves from this progression and turn ourselves into the artist. I now have my own ends. I have my own creativity and my own will and my own imagination and my own end goal that I want to bring about in my life, my own fruit that I've defined for myself. And so we are no longer subordinate, but we're independent, and we begin to act like it. And we've cut it off, and we don't realize that we are the created. And so Ezekiel comes along, and he prophesies up until the end of chapter 17 against these people that had forgotten their place. You are not the artist. You are not the creator. And they'd left that. They'd walked out of that relationship that they had with God the Father. And in verse 22, God now says what he will do because this is his plan, to bring back, to work through people for these desired ends, this this fruit that's going to come from them. And so in Ezekiel 17, verse 22, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and I will plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. And on the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. And birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the field will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree And make the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken. And I will do it. God, the artist, has a difficult dilemma because he's working with art that does think. And it's as Pinocchio becomes more of a human boy that he gets himself into trouble, right? And so in other metaphors in Scripture, we see that of a son with a father running away because he kind of goes his own way and runs off on the father. This is not what the father had intended for that son. And the son goes and runs off and does his own thing. 
And so God is dealing with something that is, in some sense, dependent upon our obedience to him. Does that make sense? For this plan of his to work, for, for, for the fruit to come about, and the just society to be, to be brought into existence, this art has to work in concert, in harmony with the artist. There is no other way. And so when we get out of line and are dissonant, this gets cut off. So if this goes, the relationship here, this goes too. So what is needed for the art, for us, for the people, to do what we're called to do, what we were made to do, and to do it well? What's required is that we remain humble. What's required is that we remember who we are and that we are not our own. What's required is that we don't get big and inflated heads, that we don't become proud because that is the, the allure of becoming the artist ourselves, isn't it? That we now stand in the place of God where we get to self-determine our own ends, where we are the originator of everything, when we don't stand under anything or anybody. We make our own choices. And there's an allure there. There's an attraction. There's a, a temptation to exalt ourselves and become proud. And every bit of height we take up as we become proud lessens the gap that we have with our God. So for us to become big means in some sense, proportionately, he becomes less. Until one day we're calling our own shots. And so what is needed is that we remain humble. And so what God does is he is patient because he, is, he labors. A vine dresser labors for the fruit. But eventually when that fruit is not there and the vine does not do what it was called to do, the vine dresser will start over and he will bring down the lofty. And he will take something, a little shoot from the humble or the lowly and say, this is somebody that understands what I'm about, understands the story, the plot line, where this is driving, who's the author. And I'm going to take that person and I'm going to start again with that. And I'm going to rebuild that because I care about what I'm doing. I'm not going to give up on the story that I'm writing I'm not going to give up on this painting. I'm not just going to crumple it and throw it over my shoulder and walk away and quit. I'll keep laboring. And I'll take the one little part that's getting it, and I'm going to try and plant that so that that can grow and bear fruit. And this is why Jesus was such an amazing example to us. Because Jesus, who said, I have only done what the Father told me to do, I've only said what the Father gave me to say, I've stood in a subordinate relationship, working to the ends that God has had for me. Okay, That Jesus, he taught us how to live. And more importantly, I think he taught us how to pray. And so we wonder how to pray, and we pray like the artist way too often. God, I want... God, I need, God, I'm doing, and I, I, I somehow can't fill the shoes of being God. Uh, I find myself a little uh, out of resources or unable to control events. 
Um, I'm playing God, but I'm, I'm not big enough for these britches. So maybe you could assist in this project I've got going. Maybe I'm, I'm going to make alliances with things that can help me out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leverage myself so that I'm secure. I'm going to look to different things to give me what I want in my life. Uh, I'm going to run around and do my agenda. That's how we tend to pray. Um, and Jesus, in the most difficult time of his life, stood there on a little mountain right before he gets arrested. And he looks to God and says, not my will, but your will be done. So it's not me. I'm subordinate to you. And what you want for my life, that be done. Bring fruit from my life. If you can take this cup from me, I'm not liking what's happening right here. Uh, I have emotions, God. I'm voicing those to you, God. But I am humbly submitted to you. I am a servant. And if this is your divine plan for me, I'm going to be there. And so Jesus taught us how to pray, how to stand in relationship to God, how to remain humble and recognize that we are the art. We're not the artist. And so I would simply offer this up, that, that we, the art, need to realize that our beauty uh, comes from dependence. And we, the art, need to realize that the worth and the value that we strive for so much especially in this society, that, that that worth and that value comes from our obedience to God. That the fruit in our life, because we've got to recapture this, the, the fruit is not just about smiles and good feelings and going to church on Sunday and checking a checkbox and having a good retirement account uh, and having a nice little picket fence. That's not the fruit that God is wanting from us. That stuff's fine. I wish I had a better retirement plan. You know, that stuff's okay. But the fruit that God wants from us is what comes from right living in harmony with Him. It's just living because God is just. It's grace because God is love, right? And so that's why when, when the Bible talks about righteousness, it says, the, it uses this wonderful phrase, the fruit of righteousness. Because if we do get this, if we are living in concert with God's plan here, if we are living rightly, it will manifest and bear fruit in our lives. The fruit of righteousness. And so that fruit, we have to remember, that fruit comes from obedience. Okay, so our beauty comes from dependence and our worth and our value, what really makes us a treasure that God would look at and say of us, like he said of his son, this is something I'm well pleased with. Why is he pleased? Because it, it, it matches, it maps on with, it resonates with his divine plan, with his intentions, with his desires, with his heart for that piece of art. So we have to realize our worth comes from that and that our, our fruit comes from obedience. And like Jesus said in John 15, 
If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. And so, brothers and sisters, may we recognize that we are the art of God and we are not the artist. That we are the treasure that he is painting, that he is drawing, that he is speaking into existence, that he is molding, that he is shaping, that he is working with, and we can delight in that because God is involved in our lives. And Emil Brunner said this, uh, art, art seeks unrealized potential. Art seeks unrealized potential. That there's a potential out there for art that's unrealized and art aims at that and seeks that. And so when we recognize and may we recognize that when we are the art of God, that we are aiming at something that's potential. There's fruit that can come from Antioch as a church that can come from your marriage, that can come from your family, that can come from your life. There's fruit that is out there, and when we recognize that we get to stand under an almighty God, that our life as a work of art can begin to realize some of that unrealized potential. That it's a thing of beauty. That it's this wonderful story that we're caught up in. And so may we look at God May we bow a knee to our Heavenly Father and say, not our will, but yours be done. So why Art Sunday? One, just um, we've got to aim at the heart, not just the head. Two, we don't want to suppress things. We want to teach how they can be used. Hang on to the good and leave the bad. And lastly, we want to value our brothers and sisters that have artistic gifts. And so these Art Sundays are simply going to be a time for us to uh, be able to let the creativity come forward so that we can all kind of appreciate, uh, be drawn into worship. There's a...